Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to sit down with someone I have known for a good few years now, and I absolutely adore her. I'm speaking to Isabelle Brasseur. Welcome to the podcast, Isa. Thank you, Isabelle. It's so nice to see you again. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Issa is actually the head of education, research and conservation at Marineland Antibes. And uh, if you don't know who you are, Issa, can you uh, give uh, a little intro of yourself? Yes, with pleasure. So th- first of all, thank you for inviting me for this podcast, Isabel. And it's a pleasure so to be here with you. In few words, I'm a little bit older than 50 years old and uh, have more than 25 years of experience with uh, marine mammal zoos. And I had a lot of uh, different jobs in uh, this community from uh, trainer to head trainer to assistant curator, head of education and head now of education, research and conservation. Most of my career was done, uh, is done at Marineland, but I began in Belgium as I'm a, a Belgian person. You know, the nice guys doing a nice jokes. <laughs> so this is us. <laughs> and uh, so I first did four years at uh, Baudouin Sea Park in Belgium, where I began my job with uh, sea lions, seals, and dolphins. And I had the privilege to train killer whales here at Marineland, the good teachers of <laughs> the Marine Mammal Company. Definitely. I mean, it has been quite a career for you, Isa. Uh, when you were younger, growing up in Belgium, did you always want to be a marine mammal trainer? Yes. <laughs> you know, I think in our community, you hear the story really often. I wanted to be a dolphin trainer and uh, I am a dolphin trainer. So I, it's a uh, It's so nice to put the example for other people that it's totally feasible. Of course, my mom was uh, worried because she was saying when I was six years old, telling her, uh, I want to be a dolphin trainer. She was like, okay, just think about a plan B. Yeah. And I was telling her there will be no plan B. I will be a dolphin trainer. But in Belgium, there were only two uh dolphinarium how we call them at that time and so there was no a lot of possibilities to be a dolphin trainer Mm. but i was successful because i did harass all the people that were (laughs) working there to get a job and that's what i got in uh, new life at bodewine sea park um and you were really lucky there you got to work with multiple different species Yes, uh, it was an honor to meet those different species and individuals because all of them did bring me different skills. It was going from pelicans, penguins, flamingos, uh, seals, different species of seals, sea lions, stellar sea lion, amazing, dolphins, of course, and uh, and the killer whales that I would put uh, first as the teacher like I said (laughs) yeah 
so when you did when you moved to Marineland, did you move to Killer Whale directly? Yeah, it was in 99 at Marineland. Um, the killer whale population was doing great. Uh, they had a lot of babies and they had the plan to build a new facility for the year 2000. And they were uh, looking for trainers to have a bigger team in, from 99. So I began at Marineland in February 99 to be able to move the whales June 2000 in the new pool. What was that like going to Killer Rail? <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Um, I was so shocked about the difference between dolphins and killer whales. So the dolphins were, what I learned with them was always uh, a little bit like, okay, what do we do next? What do we do next? And with the killer whales, it was all about, uh, what are you proposing to me? I'm going to have a check on it and maybe... <laughs> <laughs> if you are wise I will do something for you yeah they uh, definitely take a little bit more <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then when you have it and you tease them and you you give them the uh, I don't know the, the wish to participate is mm -hmm. just amazing so that was a, a big story yeah and what whale did you start working with uh, uh that's a funny story <laughs> i began um with the son of the matriarch uh over there he was three years old uh, by that time and uh he was so nice so he was a little bit more like a dolphin happy for everything but the funny thing is that the matriarch didn't meet me yet because i was not doing sessions with her and uh, she did explain to all the team that she had to meet me first before <laughs> her son was doing something for me with me and so that was really amazing to see how um, her name was Freya how Freya did manage the trainers and her son just to let us know you know what when there is a new person it's me first and then mm -hmm. she's going to be able to do other other ways of the pod so that gave me the tone of my career with uh, with whales and um, amazing to see because when you are receptive to those signs and information from the whales and from the animals you work with, it's amazing how far you can go after that. Yeah, and I love the way that you described that because I think a lot of people listening that have never worked with killer whales before will be a bit taken aback by um, how did Freya let trainers know that you had to meet her first yeah when you've worked with killer whales for a while that's kind of their behavior becomes quite obvious to you you know those signals would be quite obvious um and from what I've heard you know I personally never met Freya but working with a lot of trainers who had she had definitely a very big personality yeah, she was, um, I called her the, the queen, of course. Uh, the way she had to have us understanding that uh, she had to meet me first was like, she was really, every time I was working with her son, she was quite aggressive, always uh, the son, always me. Mm. And so we reduced the amount of session I was doing with her son more and more to come to zero because she was hypersensitive every time I was showing on 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 stage and to mm -hmm. uh, have a session with uh, Valentin 
So the head trainer at that time was saying, okay, we're going to do it differently because we see that she's hypersensitive to those sessions. So maybe mm-hmm. you can, you have to meet her first. Mm-hmm. And I met her and then it went like clink. And from this day, she was my, my love. I mean, she was amazing. <laughs> and having this first experience that was difficult because it was frustrating to not understand her maybe for several sessions meant but then after when we got it and yeah. we we followed her proposal <laughs> she then it was an amazing she she was really a friend of mine and uh, yeah. it was amazing to work with her i love that you know talking about the handbook that she wrote and gave gave trainers you know this is yeah. how i request yeah. that you interact with me <laughs> and you really did have to follow it um and what was it like getting into the water with her? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's another story. <laughs> uh, so we were basically in 99. There was not a lot of water work. And then we had uh, Lindsay Rubinkamp joining mm-hmm. the team. And that did develop with the team in, in place. But of course, most of the time, it was her taking in charge the, the, the training of trainers to go in the water. So... Um, she was deciding when trainers were ready to go in the water and one day she was telling me you know Isa I think you're ready to go in the water with Freya Mm -hmm. one (laughs) but the funny thing is that by that time I was uh, pregnant but in a period I couldn't say it to my company so in France, there is a, a gap of 12 weeks where you try to not say anybody and then you have the papers from the insurance and all those things done. But so nobody knew I was pregnant and mm-hmm. Lindsay told me, are you ready to go in the water? And we're going to begin tomorrow. So of course, I went home and say uh, to my husband, hey, uh, tomorrow I'm going to begin water work. Are you okay with it? Because yeah. Of course, I'm pregnant. So, and he said, "But if your if your boss is telling you you're ready, that means you're ready, and let's go for it. Just mm-hmm. enjoy." So, it was a session in in the big pool with Freya, and uh, I jumped in. Uh, Freya came so softly, gently to me. She had a little noise that was uh, so cute. As a kind of and she came to me like this it was amazing and Lindsay was saying oh my god she's so quiet with you she's <laughs> soft it's, she's so nice and I was like Ooh. <laughs> there's a reason <laughs> so we will never know of course but yeah I think it's one of my best memories yeah the killer whales of course and so water work it was nice again it was a kind of there were, there were rules of course and paying attention but I loved uh, a tool that we developed with uh, between the trainers and the animals. We had to check if the animal was um, okay with us joining them in the water. And in order to do that, we were asking five simple, extremely simple behaviors. Like I would ask you one plus one as a human. So it was like lift your peg. Uh, turn around, uh, follow me to the left, to the right. But it was really clearly five behaviors. And for 
trainers going in the water we, for new trainers we had to have five on five meaning that the animals had to be 100 percent correct for those five easy behavior before we would jump in the water and we clearly see, saw um day by day that they got the rule and sometimes they were failing the first easy behavior like we wanted a yes or a no like a movement of the head and they were failing the behavior so clearly saying i'm not uh, in the mood uh, to mm. share a moment with you in the water and so that was so clear and it was really for me i always took it as a nice uh polite discussion yeah. uh saying hey do you want me to join you in the water and the way they responded to that um, was really clear for us and we were respecting those rules and I never had any problem in the water like little signs saying uh, in the middle of a session uh, we can end here okay I'm gonna end here <laughs> I'm gonna go out of the water but no no fear no problem of aggressivity or whatever it was it's a nice memory too yeah <laughs> I think it's one. wonderful as well you know it's such a simple thing giving your animal that choice and yeah. you know we can't speak to them obviously we don't have that kind of communication but developing ways in which we can communicate with them that yeah. they understand hey okay my trainer is standing in front of me and asking my permission yeah. can I come in and share a moment in the water with you and then it's the whale's choice to say yes or no through those behaviors Yes, yes, it, it's, it was so nice because uh, it was a respectful way uh, of doing it um, with a common, uh, in French, we would say accord, so maybe mm -hmm. permission, and mm -hmm. it was so nice. Like an understanding. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, so moving on through your career, you know, you worked with mm -hmm. Killer Rails for many years and then eventually you moved on up through the ranks of Marine Land and I've become a head of education and also now research and conservation. So you're you're involved in a lot of different projects and you've seen a lot of growth through the industry in the years you've been in it. What is your job like now? Uh, yeah, it's true that I saw in 20, more than 25 years how the, the job um, evolved and now um, it's nice because um, it's like uh, a full loop that I did because I did study biology to be able to study the cognitive skills of the animals mm -hmm. and my first work was in the Antwerp Zoo in, in Belgium and studying the way the dolphins were memorizing uh, items and now I do about the same research um, so the my job now is like uh, coordinate um, what we propose to the visitors on site as an educational presentation or informal uh, talks or educational uh, yeah presentation as a the the shows like we used to call them but now it's really a privileged moment with uh, a large amount of visitors but giving mm -hmm. them access to um, different uh, knowledge like the biology of the animals the behaviors that they do how they spend the day 
uh, in the wild or at marine land, how we take care of them. So all those things are uh, put together with, of course, the animal team, but also my educational team. So that's one part. The other part is uh, research. So the reason why I did biology, so um, I coordinate the research. Um, there are a lot of uh, research with the vets um, about uh, medicine. Uh, there are research about, the, of course, the welfare of the animal. Mm. But I think the key here is the connective cognitive skills because mm -hmm. we have an excellent team of trainers with a lot of skills that are able to to show to have the animal understanding what we are expecting from them mm -hmm. and so like that we are sure that they understand the the protocol we want to put in place because in cognitive research the difficulty is having the animal understanding what we are looking for yeah what we want to show mm -hmm. uh, there was a very old example about the cognitive research where uh, researchers were trying to show that the dolphins could recognize circular balls or like balls uh, a full one um in metal and an empty one like just um i don't know how to say it in english but i i think you understand like a heavy one and full of metal yeah. and another one it a hollow be. yeah hollow. and so the the idea was uh having the dolphin um scanning those two objects and always showing the full one detecting where the full one was yeah. left or right left or right and it re it reaches the hundred percent correct. So every person involved in the research was sure that the animal had these skills. But the rope with the one the two balls was attached were attached uh, broke, and mm. they had to develop a new system to hold the two balls in front of the dolphin. And then the success of the animal falled to 50%, meaning mm. that the animal was guessing where is the ball. Mm. And so they discovered that there were little knots uh, to attach the balls that were different for the full one and the empty one. Mm. And that was the protocol for the dolphins to discover in his head. He was supposed to show the good knots or not. Yeah, yeah. So I think... Funny. The cognitive research that we do, you know, for me, from a trainer perspective, it's so interesting. And anyone who's listening to this episode, you know, we've had Dr. Kathleen Dudzinski on, we've had Dr. Mm -hmm. Heather Hill on, you know, we've spoken a lot about cognitive research and how important it is. Um, and I want to focus a little bit on education. Um, and I must also say, like, doing an educational presentation with Isa was always great because you you were a trainer. So when I was at Marineland, when we used to do our educational presentation, we would give the, the educators a plan of what we wanted to do. But for the most part, we'd kind of go off plan a little bit, depending on what the animals were doing. And Isa was great because you would you would just ad lib. You would be on the other side and you would just be like with the microphone, like very easily <laughs> chatting, talking about what we were doing. And we could basically just get away with like doing anything we wanted to do. And we would know <laughs> that you you would like pick up on whatever we were trying to to communicate, which was great. Um, what is it like for you 
watching visitors come in and going through that change from theatrical shows to educational presentations and how do you think like what do you think it takes to be successful at that um uh, i think it was a challenge because we 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 trained the people to come and visit like amazing shows and now we have to go back to basic and show the skills of the animals and show the animals in a simple simpler simplistic yeah simplistic uh, way uh but we we gain a lot by doing that because um a simplicity is efficiency i i really think that uh the the visitors get what the animals are and the skills they have and also they are able to see the bond that is uh, uh, developed between the trainers and the, the animals and um, the people understand that uh, the time is changing and that they're gonna come to spend a nice time with the family but they will learn something and uh, mm. say they still gonna spend a very nice day enjoyable day but they know they're gonna learn something it's just the the period between the two was quite hard because there were people disappointed by the fact mm -hmm. that we were not doing fantastic shows anymore but there is this new generation of people uh, eager to come and learn and learn again and again. And and you're right, and thank you for saying it, that by having been a trainer, um, it gives, when I train the education, the people in my team, I train them a little bit like trainers to be able to see the details of your work as trainer mm. and be able to transfer this information to the visitors because the job of the trainer is made of uh, really little details and we have to pay attention to those things and so it makes our educational presentation really full of life and uh, uh, surprises of course sometimes with the animals yeah. not doing what we were expecting but we explain what's happening in the pool and the people love it they love mm -hmm. it to see uh, how the animal learn, how they fail, how the trainer um, have uh, the animals doing things. And so mm -hmm. it's, uh, I like that. It's a little bit like you bring the visitors into the job of the trainers. Yeah. So I love it. I completely agree. And it felt like that, you know, I bring back to when you were on the mic and we were, we were on stage with the whales, you know, it does feel like you're just bringing the public into a training session or bringing them into a research session and just letting them observe while someone's explaining it. And yeah, it's not always going to go to plan, but you know, sometimes yeah. those are the nice moments where you have to be like, oh yeah, the animal is misunderstood. He's supposed to come up here, but you're going to look over to the other <laughs> side because he's away over there instead. You know, it is, it is definitely um, a nice part of our job that we now get to share with the public that we didn't used to. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, it's like uh, explaining the job and the people, you know what, they like when the animals are failing because sometimes when they are sitting in the stands, 
they have a little bit of guilty there, not knowing if we force the animal to do mm. those things or not. And by watching that they are failures and it's okay with the trainers mm -hmm. and it's, uh, and we just go around it or we respect the animal and understand what he doesn't want to do this day. And mm -hmm. we change the plan, we adapt, all those things that we now explain in a in live uh, people's really appreciate it and they go back at home knowing that we are paying attention to the animals the the things that they were like the choice and freedom the, the, those techniques now we it's more um obvious for the visitors that we we propose to the animals and they choose yeah so we've spoken there briefly about education and research, which are incredibly important for everything that we're doing right now, but also conservation. And I think um, a lot of the general public perhaps don't have a great understanding about how zoos and aquariums can aid in conservation efforts. So what's your view on that? Yes, it's true that it's it's. Uh, we always say that there are three piles in the zoo, like education, conservation, and research. Now, of course, we add a fourth one as well-being is is the key. So we speak more and more about four piles, but conservation is part of it. And um, for the people, you said it right. It's not really obvious the link between our activity and conservation. Uh, my vision is that in zoos we are there are two ways like we are getting skills uh, with the animals that we have under our care and because we have those skills we can put the skills at disposal of wild animals like veterinarian working in the wild uh, or maybe um, people working with wild animals, we our eyes are so used to the different species we take care of. Like um, we we know the behaviors of the animal, we can uh, evaluate it, we can anticipate then the responses of the behaviors of uh, animals, even if we don't know them because we observe the their counterparts for hours and days and weeks and months and years so we have this vision and we can put then those skills at disposal of wild animals that's one one way to be involved in conservation of course zoos are raising uh, monies and there are there is a part of this money going back to conservation programs that's another way that zoos can be involved in uh, conservation and uh, by also uh, managing population of captive animals we keep uh, the genetic of some very endangered uh, species at disposal of mother earth and just in case uh, we we have to put animals back in the wild or just make sure that we keep those animals, this species alive is another way to help in conservation programs. So there are different aspects and the research that we do here also help uh, animals in the wild. For example, uh, the cognitive research that we do in zoos 
to evaluate the skills of the animal to adapt to their environment are important because now their environment is changing a lot. We mm -hmm. have a huge influence on the on the different behavior, on the different um, habitat. And so the animals have to adapt. How do they adapt? How far they can adapt? Uh, how long it takes them to adapt? Those things are the research that we can do under human care. And there are a lot of research that we cannot do in the wild. So we, we are so complementary of the research done in the wild and by putting those type of research wild and uh, under human care together, we can help uh, animals um, in the wild. So it's uh, it's so nice. It It's not really often that one person is in the zoo has the three piles, but uh, by uh, experiencing it every day on a daily basis to have the tree in one department, I think it's amazing they are, because there are so many connections uh, between the three piles um, by uh, by um, educate the people. We do conservation because we tell the people how we are impacting the environment, how they can have eco-citizen actions yeah. on a daily basis to help the animals in the wild. So the three piles, having the three piles in the same department is just amazing. And um, conservation is a new job for me because it's only three years that I'm in charge of it. I love it, I love it. It makes so much sense. Yeah, and I think, you know, you talking about all three of them coming together, there's one very stark example that stands out to me about how those three different piles came together. Uh, was the beluga whale who was discovered in the Seine and you were actually involved in all of that tell us about yeah. it that was just amazing amazing so what I have to say to begin it is like some months uh, before that in May there was already an, a killer whale mm -hmm. um, that was found in the Seine and that was already so surprising. But um, there were different entities taking care of this animal. And I did jump in one. Uh, uh, there was a group de recherche uh, du Cotentin. It's, uh, it's an NGO uh, spotting dolphins in uh, Britain and um, collecting data for the Office Francais de la Biodiversité. So this NGO was uh, involved in um, observing the whale, uh, this whale uh, in the Seine. And so I get in touch with uh, this NGO saying, can I help? We have skills about killer whales, okay, mm -hmm. can we help? And from there, we developed a group um, from different person, person in zoo. We had also Eve Jourdain studying killer whales uh, with the orca survey. We had research, acoustician. So we, we were different people gathering just to help this animal. And by developing this group um, in August, when we heard about a cetacean in the sand, because the mm -hmm. first days we even didn't know what species it was. Okay, the group gathered again, 
thanks to WhatsApp, hey, what's going on? We have mm -hmm. to help. And so all these uh, um, full of energy uh, uh, moments. Then the 2nd of August, so we hear there is a cetacean. On the 4th, we understand it's a beluga. So the whales was already amazing, but a beluga, we were like, what? Very uh, last. <laughs> very last. And uh, so at that time, the funny thing too is that Sea Shepherd immediately jumped in the loop because Sea Shepherd was already involved with the kill whale. And um, so we, what was nice in this case is that we got along because Sea Shepherd was first on site. They made themselves available to stay with the animal and observe it on mm -hmm. a 24 hour on 24 basis because I was here at in Antibes and the other people from the group were not available immediately. So by having Sea Shepherd and another NGO, Apex Research, uh we had eyes there able mm -hmm. to follow the the beluga so um, the animal was really skinny we received pictures so the the zoo community began to to be involved then we had oceanographic valencia jumping in helping um of course by having belugas themselves they were well, it was not easy and not uh, hard to say that the animal was skinny, skinny and in mm -hmm. bad condition. But of course, Oceanographic had another level of vision about this animal. So it, it helped also. And um, then the prefecture uh, said, OK, we, we have to take care of this animal. And by chance, the animal were, was going in a stock on the, on the river. And so we decided to close it and mm -hmm. to try to help the animal. So we we did put some live fish in it, hoping that by having a, a large amount of live fish around him, it would stimulate the animal to, to eat because it was obvious it, it, it was really skinny and it didn't eat for a long period. So we tried that. Um, it didn't show a lot of interest for the live fish. We tried... Uh, a fish ourselves throwing fish in front of him he was not interested either uh, then we because we had access to him we did uh, inject him some medicine to help him to recover and um, and just was... so I can so I can interject yeah. you know, this is where all of the research that we do yeah. with these animals becomes so important not only what type of fish you can put in and how much he should be eating, what his weight should be, also yeah. what medicine you need to inject him with and the dosage, you know, that is incredibly important. And we wouldn't have access to that knowledge without having studied these animals in human care. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. And uh, that was the funny thing also with the complementarity with uh, Sea Shepherd mm -hmm. because they're criticizing us all the time and they're really against captivity we know it it's it's well known but once they discovered what we were able to bring to this animal thanks mm -hmm. to our skills and our knowledge um 
it it was really a nice moment for for me to see this NGO understanding who we are mm -hmm. and what we are capable of. And I was doing the same for them because who they are, it, it's an NGO with a lot, a lot of people involved. So they, they have the numerous. So we had people available 24 hours on 24 yeah. to observe the animal, something that I wouldn't be able to do alone, for example, mm -hmm. on, even if I, I bring a lot of trainers with me. So um, then it was decided to move the animal from this stock because it was uh, with a water, I don't know the name, it was not salt water, it was- Fresh water. Fresh water, oh, sorry. So it was fresh water. And so it was really urgent to move the animal and put it back in salt water yeah. for himself. So, but how can you remove a whale from a stock long, 185 meters long, mm -hmm. 25 meters wide, five meters deep? So it was a, a big pool, mm -hmm. <laughs> a huge pool. So we went there with some material like a net and we were, we went there with some trainers. We welcomed the trainers from Planet Sauvage, the mm -hmm. other zoo hosting dolphins in France. And, um, and then the prefecture put at our disposal uh, a lot of people, a lot of material. And so I was in charge to call the what we call in French manip, like the, the all the action to get this whale, white whale out of the water. And so the idea was to remove it from the water, do a full um, exam, evaluate if he, it would support, uh, if it would um, yeah, survive to a transport. Yeah. Otherwise, the idea was, of course, to uh, euthanasiate it. Uh, but, uh, of course, euthanasia is not really easy when you have uh, tons of people now in France knowing it and even out of the frontiers and the medias uh, calling you constantly to have mm -hmm. information and all those things. But it was an option, of course, and because for the well-being of the animal, when you see it's at the end of its life, of course, it's also our job to to have those last hours, um, the less uh, hard for the animal as possible. So, so the idea was removing the animal, having an exam, decide if we transport it or not. And then, uh, so we arrived there um, on the 8th of August, end of the day, and from the 9th, uh, seven in the morning until twenty two uh, until ten p.m. Mm -hmm. We took the time to organize the manip, like uh, training people, gathering the material, gathering the skills of other people, having the plan, explaining the plan. And at ten p.m., I decided that we were ready to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it was dark, um, but we have we found that we were ready and then we went for it and from the first trial 
we had the whale in the nets um, ready to be transported on a boat, the boat going to the to the le quai, to the to the lock. Uh, yeah, there the was a, there was a saltwater okay. lock, yeah. um, that was kind of it was yeah. decided that that would be the best place to to put him because if he was going to survive the transport, yeah. you know, you couldn't. That's not an animal that you can just put back yeah. in the ocean and say, "Hey, go go fend for yourself." Exactly. You know, the idea was to to keep observing him, but yeah. somewhere that was in salt water. So so voilà, we we from the boat we did the exam and then he was. Um, of course, the body condition was really, he was weak, that was obvious, but we we wanted to take the chance and so transport it to the other lock in salt water. Mm -hmm. And uh, during the transport, we saw step by step that he was, uh, he was not doing well and uh, the way he was briefing was uh, worse and worse. So we decided to um to help him to go away i don't know how to say it in english but um it was a hard decision but it was a no-brainer too because yeah. he was suffering he, he was suffering so we tried it um um of course after that we had some people criticizing it but there was always reason to criticize it but i was uh it was an amazing adventure of course uh, it's sad for this animal, but after the necropsy, we discovered that he was really sick and mm -hmm. had a lot of different disease and didn't eat for a long period for sure. So the, the adventure was amazing. The people involved were amazing. And it was, again, like you said, research was involved conservation was involved but education too because all the citizens that were following uh, this um, adventure for several days were sad for the animal but understanding that the life for wild animals is getting really hard yeah and uh, that it might be of course the animals are dying in the wild because mm -hmm. it's a lot of time, um, there are criticism uh, for marine zoos about the animal dying there, but life is life and animals and people are dying. So, yeah, it doesn't matter the incredible vet care or health care that, yeah. you know, you have humans and animals will still die. But, yeah. you know, for me, the whole story surrounding that rescue of the beluga whale gave me so much hope. For yeah. the future of the industry, when you see organizations like Marine Lands Antibes, like Planète Sauvage and Sea Shepherd working together yeah. with the firefighters and the local governments and the authorities yeah. to save the life of this one wild animal, mm. gave me hope that, you know, in the future, we can also work together and respect each other. And sure. the reason I wanted you to talk specifically about this is because when I was reading a lot of newspaper articles and stuff about this rescue sea shepherd were mentioned in every article and there mm. were only a few that mentioned planet sauvage and marine lands and mm. i want to be very clear that it was the experts from marine lands and the experts from planet sauvage the trainers the researchers the vets 
who yeah. were in charge of this entire operation and were the ones organizing with everyone else. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's true. Um, the thing is that when we did uh, debrief all the the adventure, I would say, um, of course, there were a lot of things about uh, the, the animals, the vet part and all those things. But there was also a part about communication, because when we do that, because we're so focused on the animal, um, we don't have the time to show off and to say that we are doing that. Mm -hmm. So I had the amazing opportunity to take a, a person with me. His name is uh, Stéphane Jam, and he's he has a little company, Les Aguanotes, and he he made us a favor and did a nice movie about our action there. But it was maybe the first time when we were doing something like that to valorize, valorize to put in light uh, the things that we were doing. Because when we do those things, we are in the action and we, we don't think about yeah, the animals your priority um, in that yeah moment. yeah and so but we could see that sea shepherd has a team of people dedicated to the fact to communicate to their um to the people that they that follow them it's yeah it's, yeah it, because we're so focused on the animal we don't focus on communication and maybe that's a good lesson because um we show more and more in zoos that we do research and conservation but mm -hmm. this is not new yeah we do it from day first mm -hmm. um, but we were not talking about it yeah and uh, so now we learned on a hard way <laughs> that we have to say to people hey guys we have skills we yeah we we have the skills to to help and we put those skills um we these skills is available so let's use it yeah well isa thank you so much for coming on and, commu and communicating all of this with my listeners <laughs> i know that everyone will have been very interested to hear what you had to say so thank you for taking the time out of your very busy day Thank you so much, Hazel, and thank you for everybody to listen my English. <laughs> yes, thank you for doing this whole interview in English. Yes. <laughs> I wish you the best for the future. I love what you do for our community and mm. take care. Oh, thank you, Isa. Oh. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.